We left off, I do believe, speaking about the words of institution. Uh, And we talked about that and how the words of institution are Jesus' instructions for us on what the Lord's Supper is. There's a lot of interesting topics and discussions on various texts in the Bible, in the New Testament. We read from John chapter 6. Hey, Bruce, is there, can you pull another table out of there? I don't know if there, does anybody want another table? Some chairs for back there. Um, that in the words of institution, Jesus gives us the most plain understanding of these words. Because in other books of the Bible, like remember we studied the gospel of John in John chapter 6, the bread of life chapter. And Jesus says some interesting things to his disciples about eating his body and drinking his blood, eating his flesh and being a disciple of his. But, you know, we, when we're teaching about the Lord's Supper, we don't just go to John chapter 6. Because John chapter 6, is, it, it isn't Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. When we learn about what the Lord's Supper is, and when we teach about it, we go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul, where the words of institution are given to us plainly. And what's interesting is none of them say anything different. I mean, the wording is a little different, but none of them, none of the witnesses say, oh, Jesus meant to say this was, this symbolized his body or blood. So we we spoke and studied how the words of institution guide us on our understanding of the Lord's Supper and that faith is required and that's a good thing. So next in the liturgy, after you hear the words of institution, I do something kind of interesting. Um, The peace is the next topic on here after the words of institution. The peace. I turn around to you after I consecrate the body and blood of Christ. I grab... I grab a host and then I grab the chalice and I turn around to you. And what do I say? The peace of the Lord be with you always. Right. And part of the reason I I do that is to show you how the peace of the Lord is indeed with you right now. The peace of the Lord is with you and be with you always. That we see that this is truly the presence of Christ in the bread and wine for our benefit. So I I turn around and I say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And you say, oh, we hope so. (laughs) You say, amen, right? The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You say, yes, we know. It is going to be with us always. We know that it's here right now that Jesus is among us. So where does this come from? In in our liturgy, look at this paragraph from the paper. The greeting of peace, which Jesus spoke on the first Easter, is shared before we approach the altar to receive him. In the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ are truly present in, with, and under the bread and wine. So let's go to John chapter 20 and see if we can, see if we can listen for some words that sound familiar and might teach us what we are saying and why we are saying it as I lift to you the body and blood of Christ and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, uh, somebody read John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So we take, we take, thank you. We'll, we'll keep going here in a second. But verses 19 and 21, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The pe- Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. Uh, so as I turn around and I show to you the body and blood of Jesus and I say, peace be with you, we are, we are being taken to this Easter resurrection Sunday. And the presence of Christ was with his disciples. And he came to them and he didn't say, you bunch of idiots, (laughs) didn't you know any better? Didn't you know I was going to rise from the dead? You know, because we always ask the question, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, why were they afraid? What does John tell us? What were they afraid of? First, they were afraid of the Jews. And then when it says Jesus came and came to them, uh, stood among them, Jesus says, peace be with you. Look at verse 20 then. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So the presence of Jesus was kind of frightening for them. They were afraid of the Jews. And then as Jesus comes into their presence, they're still frightened until Jesus declares to them, my presence for you is not to condemn you. I'm not here to call you a bunch of idiots. I'm here to tell you, because I'm raised from the dead, you have peace with God. So on Sunday morning, after I consecrate the elements and turn around and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always, it is meant to mentally take you to this Sunday when Jesus' presence, bodily presence, after the resurrection was with his disciples and Jesus shows them. He says, look, I have a body so that I may die for you and now give you peace. Okay, so let's, let's keep going and see, let's think of any other parallels or any other things we can be taught about this event and what we do on Sunday morning. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... And place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So considering this scenario, this picture, this event, do you see any other parallels, any other teachings about how, about what's going on in the Lord's Supper? I mean, is there doubt in the Lord's Supper? 
are we some, do we sometimes doubt? Oh yeah, we're human. Yeah, of course. Sometimes we doubt that this is the real presence of Christ. Uh, Just like Thomas, right? Thomas wasn't there. And what did he say? Dead people don't rise from the grave. I don't believe it. Not until I see it. Not until I see it. Not until I feel it and touch it. Right. And and it's it's a wonderful thing because it 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 takes faith. Right. Jesus points out that Thomas in the end has faith, and that's why he sees him and can confess him as his Lord and his God, meaning he's he's both Lord and God, meaning he's he's God. Um, and so in the Lord's Supper, we hear peace be with you. We know that the reason Jesus is giving us this meal is so that we may know we have peace, that we may know we have forgiveness and that we receive it by faith. So as, as strange as it seems that, uh, Jesus would be, give us his true body and blood It is no more of an obstacle than what Thomas faced on Easter evening. It's a wonderful picture of Christ's presence with us, that he was bodily present with his disciples, right? He he, He didn't crawl through the hole in the door, right? There are some commentators who try to explain this away, who who don't believe in the real presence, because this text is a real problem for people who believe that Jesus can't be physically present in the Lord's Supper. And they say, well, how is Jesus physically present with the disciples? How is he in that room? Because remember, Jesus is supposed to be, Jesus is, he, 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 can't, he can't be there. He's dead. He, he went to heaven. How is he present then with his disciples bodily? I know. This is how it worked. Jesus knew the disciples would be gathered in that room again. So you know what he did? He went and he hid in the curtains. And so he was hiding in the room. And then when the disciples came in there and they were afraid, Jesus appeared to them and said, surprise, boys, I'm here. They say that's how Jesus was able to be in the room. They, they do their best to explain away the presence of how Jesus just appear. And John, do you, did you hear the detail that John mentioned to go through the extra effort to say that Jesus didn't come in through the door? He wasn't hiding in the, in the curtains. Uh, he wasn't, you know, this wasn't the, <laughs> this wasn't the inspiration for who's the girl who makes clothes out of curtains on sound of the wind or gone with the wind. Sound of music. Sound of the wind, whatever. <laughs> yeah, curtains and clothes. That's all I remember watching that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, this was not the inspiration for her to make clothes from the curtains. Um, Jesus, John specifically mentions what detail to, to show that the doors were locked, that this was a miracle, that Jesus can be present bodily and physically when and where it pleases him. So if he wants to be present with the disciples beyond all, all logical, philosophical explanations, he's there. Right? And Thomas says, oh, that's not possible. That can't be. I saw him die. We know he's dead. And Jesus says, well, here, come, I'll show you. Uh, and so Thomas and the disciples, they hear that God is not out to get them. 
He isn't raised from the dead now to get them because of their doubts and their timidity, but he is actually coming into their presence to affirm, to strengthen them for what they are about to need and do. Yeah, Bruce. Is this an example of the disciples' unfaith when they don't believe that, okay, since Jesus was killed, he can't come back to life, but yet they saw him raise people from the dead? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the disciples, they ebb and flow. You know, there are times, you know, Peter is ready to die with Jesus. And then Peter right away, you know, when he's pushed at the crucifixion of, at the trial of Jesus, he's like, no, I don't know. Nope, sure don't. Um, Yes, the disciples are hiding. And so this shows they're, they're they're not unbelievers, but it is showing their weakness of faith. And they are gathered there. And it shows us too that the Lord is with us in our weakness. You know, he, he, our reading today, right? He doesn't, he doesn't put out a faintly burning wick. He, a bruised reed he will not crush. A faintly burning wick he will not put out. He came to the disciples to give them his bodily presence, this special gift for them because of what they are now about to do. So then after the resurrection now, this is, this is what we hear when we on Sunday morning when we are in the presence of God and the Lord's Supper, God wants you to know you have peace, that you have forgiveness by, by faith, by faith in, in his words. Just like the disciples, when Jesus showed them his hands and his feet, he, he's showing them, look, I'm the one who died. I died for your sins. Everything I said to you has come true. Look what I did for you. And so then the disciples are able to have peace. Jesus showed them his hands and his sides. On a side note, this also teaches us maybe a little bit about the state of the human body after the resurrection. Um, St. Paul warns us not to get too off in the woods with some of these things about, Pastor, what are we going to look like in the resurrection? Um, It was funny, this this last Thursday at confirmation, I was asked if uh, our pets are going to be in heaven. And I said, well, you know, pets and creation uh, has all been affected by sin. And God says he's going to restore everything. In Revelation, we are told the lamb is going to lay down with a lion. We are told the child is going to be able to put their hand over the Adler's den and not be bit. And I said, the Bible seems to indicate that even our pets and animals are going to be restored in the resurrection. And I said, and I'm afraid of that because I'm going to have to come face to face with all the fried chickens that I've eaten. (laughs) I think there's a far side comic to that effect where there's a guy standing at the pearly gates and there's a bunch of chickens behind St. Peter, you know, and says, we've got a score to settle with you, Bob. (laughs) But then I said, and I said, no, you know, all, all our, you know, pets and the chickens we've eaten and the fish, they're going to be glad to see us in the resurrection because the animals know their job is to give themselves for us. Creation is given for mankind. And so even the animals that we shoot and hunt in the resurrection, they're going to be joyful that we received them in faith as a gift from God. Uh, so, I mean, it kind of seems a little corny, but I do think it's, I, I think it's kind of on the right path about how we answer that question. And then when we see Jesus now being raised, sorry if that's kind of left field. I thought it was funny. Um, (laughs) With Jesus's resurrection, how did the disciples recognize him? Their eyes were opened. 
Well, yes, that, that is, text isn't specifically here, but what does Jesus show them to identify himself? Yeah, the wounds from his death. So we think that in the resurrection, uh, we, we are going to be able to identify ourselves and some of our, our wounds and our scars are going to be visible. Um, but in this life, you know, we try to hide scars and blemishes. In the resurrection, they're going to be our trophies. Like Jesus shows his trophies to the disciples, and that's how they, they know who he is. So, too, this is why when in, in art, I don't know if you've seen some of the art of, like, martyrs. Like, does some of y'all remember the statue of uh, Bartholomew that I've shown you? Yeah, it's the statue of just the muscular, a muscular statue, uh, like you see in anatomy books, just the muscles. And uh, he's holding this, like what looks like a blanket. And it's Bartholomew who, according to tradition, was skinned alive. Uh, and he now is carrying his skin as his trophy because the worst the devil in the world could throw at him didn't take away his faith. So instead of being embarrassed that he was skinned alive, he said, look, my savior even kept me even through being skinned alive. So if you see art in what we call like icons of the martyrs and like the disciples, a lot of the ways you can identify a picture if it's a disciple is it will have their method of, of death in their picture. So like uh, Peter, there would be an upside down cross or they'll be, it's a picture of them uh, and they'll be, it'll be like a picture of their torso and, and they'll be holding a, a Bible or something. And then in the other hand, like, uh, does anybody remember who the prophet was that traditionally was sawn into? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Uh, he would be holding like a saw in the other hand, right? And it's, they're bragging about, about what God preserved their faith through. It's really fun. I, I, I think so anyway. Um, we went to, for doxology, we went to this Roman Catholic retreat center and we use all their facilities and right outside the sanctuary of the church then, because we use it for our services and we have our own pastors and such. But as you leave the sanctuary, you walk down this hall and there are a bunch of pictures of priests who've, who've died in their service to the church. And one of them had bullet holes in him as he died because somebody murdered him and shot him. Uh, it, this is a tradition in Mexico, too, in, in Spanish culture, like for the Day of the Dead, um, or even like at a funeral. If your loved one, have any of y'all heard me talk about this before? If, if, if one of your loved one died of, of lung cancer, at the funeral, you would, or at the reception, you, you would give them a card of condolences or something, and then you'd give them a pack of cigarettes. Or if they died of a heart attack, you'd give them a fried chicken. <laughs> but it's a mocking, it's a mockery of death. It's a, it's, it's a mockery. It says, ha, death has tried its best, but Jesus wins. So there is this interesting tradition about uh, trying to understand what our, you know, how do we handle our crosses right now? How do we handle our illnesses? What, how shall we see them? Jesus shows off his, 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 his wounds. Of course, that meant for the disciples that he was raised. He was the one who was crucified. He is the son of God, and it was done for them. But yet then also now for us, our crosses, the things that we carry, the burdens and heavy things, 
um, they are our trophies. They are our crowns. Uh, we're not to be embarrassed of the various things that happen to us. Uh, we, are to, we are to receive them as the gifts that they are, even, even dying illnesses. Um, uh, because everything that God gives to us, what is, what is it meant to do? Everything we have is meant to what? Is a gift for what purpose? Yeah, in glory to God and to strengthen our faith. You remember Romans 8, 28? God uses all things for the good of those who believe. All things. Not just the things you like. <laughs> he uses all things. So, you know, it, it's tough on this side of, on this side of the grave. It's tough for us to, to know and to see that the things that happen to us that are, that are hard and difficult and are, are, and hurt us. Um, but in the end, in the resurrection, we're going to brag about it. We're, we're going to, it's going to be our, they're going to be our trophies. Uh, and, and various cultures show that in different ways. Um, but you know, some people would be offended if you gave their, them a pack of cigarettes because their loved one died of lung cancer. But anyway, so I thought I saw a hand somewhere or something. No? Okay, so uh, on Sunday morning when I turn around and I show you the blood, the body and blood of Christ, and I say the peace of the Lord be with you always, you should go back to John chapter 20 uh, and the presence of Jesus and how Jesus even came back for Thomas and he told Thomas, here, touch my body you know, feel me, right? And so he says that to us as we receive the sacrament. We're doing the same thing that Thomas does when he touches Jesus, when he reaches out. And so that's part of the reason why in the liturgy we connect the Lord's Supper to this John 20 Easter evening event. Uh, it teaches us about the presence of Christ. He can be present physically when and where it pleases him. He is there to bring us peace if we receive it by faith. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, we benefit by, by faith in this. Thomas, you know, there's a lot of talk about Thomas not being there the first time. Uh, you know, it's kind of curious and interesting then uh, that Thomas missed out on the Lord being present. But then at the encouragement of his fellow Christians, what did they say? What do you think the disciples said to Thomas after that first Easter Sunday service? It says they came back eight days later, right? It was a Sunday again. Sunday is eight days in, in how they count days. What do you think they said to Thomas that week between when Jesus first came to them? What do you think they said to him? They went out and found him, right? Hey, Thomas, Jesus didn't call us idiots, but I'm going to call you a moron. <laughs> Come to church, buddy. Um, the Lord's presence, Jesus is present. Jesus is there. I mean, that should sort of motivate us a little bit, I think, to, to understand. I mean, just think of how crazy it was for the disciples to tell people or to tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, the Lord was with us. And Thomas was probably like, yeah, 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 I know symbolically he was with you, whatever. And they're like, no, he was really there, dude. He says, well, I'm not going to believe it unless I feel it. And they say, okay, come on. I mean, the disciples trust. I mean, the fact to tell Thomas, hey, come, they trusted that Jesus would what? Amen. would be there. <clears throat> oh, man, isn't that crazy? Uh, just in this short time, the disciples by the Holy Spirit, they got it. The presence of Jesus comes and is always with us and comes to us in a special way. 
and so this would be our motivation and our encouragement to share this, this point. Jesus is with us. Come here, come, come to church. Let me show you. Come here, come listen. Now, don't, don't, don't just look with your eyes, right? Don't, don't just look with your eyes, but, but listen, right? Look with your ears and, and look at what's going on here in our church. Where else are you going to find that? You know, where else are you going to find where we actually, you know, we <laughs> like the disciples who said, Thomas, Jesus is going to be here again. Come on. You know, uh, you know, with, with the disciples, you know, how crazy it is. Uh, we don't say Jesus might be there. I mean, where else are you going to get that? Nowhere else. Uh, and it's a wonderful blessing for us. So this, this John 20 reading, it's a fantastic reading. And especially as it calls to mind for you um, on Sunday mornings, when you just in that little action of me turning around, <coughs> holding the, the body and blood of Jesus, saying the peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, it's, it's a reminder of all these things and, and that text in John 20. Any thoughts or questions on, on that? I think it's an example of his compassion for us, too, because then he does it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He came and then came again for Thomas' sake as well. Yeah. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's the reminder, you know, the Lord's Supper is for those who know they aren't worthy, right? It's, it's for those who come in faith. It is not for those who come not believing in Christ. Uh, and, and then, you know, you come into the presence of Christ, not believing him, calling him a liar. And um, that doesn't go very well. One other thing about that is, you know, they're locked up in the room, they're afraid, and all of a sudden Jesus appears. I think they'd be really afraid. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, as a human being. I, uh, I know, I know, I know. And, and it takes me back to, you know, the shepherds in the fields. Mm-hmm. The glory of the Lord showing about. You're out in the middle of darkness, and all of a sudden, boom, it's broad daylight. It's like. You know, if you have a heart condition, you know. Maybe that's why they were younger. The young shepherds, yeah. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. Part of why he said, peace be with you, because, you know, you got to be, as a human being, you can be terrified. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to analyze it a little bit further, you know, they are terrified and it doesn't specifically say, but we can imagine they are terrified. You know, one, they're for the fear of the Jews. They're going to be punished just like Jesus, which they will in the end. Um, but they know that they're sinners. You know, they know how fragile their life is. They know they should. They know that death is a reality and that's what they, des- in, this, in essence, deserve. So when, yeah, when Jesus appears... You know, that's, that's not only the case when Jesus appears, but when angels with the glory of the Lord shone round them, but also whenever angels appear to Mary, uh, angels appear to Zechariah, whenever an angel appears, what's the person's first response? Fear, hey, fear fall down. Well, I'm not worthy. Whoa, you know, hey, go find someone else. <laughs> uh, don't talk to me. Um, yeah, because the disciples, they, they, they were uh, in essence to, sum it up, they were repentant. 
Any other thoughts, questions? I have a question, kind of. Uh, is the I'll have kind of an answer. <laughs> uh, is the presence of, of God or presence of Jesus in the service in general and the sacrament? Uh, is there is there like a heightened presence, possibly? Or uh, I'm just I'm asking this because of how, and I hate to compare churches, but how other churches talk about the presence of God mm-hmm. in their service, but they're unwilling to say the presence is here tangibly in yeah. a sacrament or the Eucharist. And sometimes I just yeah, it's a it's it's. You know, it is the, and this is one of the the distinctions about this too, that yes, you know, we would even acknowledge God is present in our service in this sense that he is, he is present everywhere. But when we come together in his, in his church and we say, God is present, he is present for a specific reason to give us forgiveness so then he is also present in the Lord's Supper. I don't know that I would try to compare the two or to, dis- to distinguish them, except in the way that it would be like the disciples knew God was everywhere and saw everything. But then he, when he was present there in their midst, it was something, something far greater than just a general understanding that God is present. So I, that's a good question, and I don't exactly know how to answer it. But to understand that God's present, God is present for a specific reason. So you could go into a church, and they could say God is present, and that could that would should you know that strikes fear into your heart. You know, I'm in the presence of God. I should be you know I should honor this. This is in Hebrews. We are told that we come to a mountain that can't be touched but yet we are still in the presence of a God who is a consuming fire. So come into his presence with reverence and awe. So then God is present there and we hear the gospel and that's a wonderful promise and the assurance of forgiveness of sins. But yet there is even more gospel and more assurance given to us in, in the sacrament. So it's a, it's more gospel. It's an even, it's, it's giving us this, this idea that God is present here, but he's not just present to make you uh, fearful and in awe, but he is actually present here to then lift you up and, and, and give you his forgiveness. You have something to add? Well, what they often talk about is knowing that he's there because of they feel him. They oh, talk yeah. about feelings, mm-hmm. and we don't talk about feelings. We take God at his word. You know, feelings can be evoked at a football game, at a concert. So how can you trust those feelings mm-hmm. are God or are from God? So we, we just take him at his word. Yeah, his presence uh, is there because he says so. And, you know, th- these are the, you know, let, let's look at a couple of the, re- you know, the, the context when God says he's present. When Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. That's in the context of Matthew 18 and, and calling someone to, to repentance, and, and they do. So then when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. So when you go to somebody who sinned against you and they repent and you forgive them, 
Jesus is saying, I, I'm there. You know, I, that forgiveness is real. It's mine. And then with the Lord's Supper, then it's, it's another instance of that to where we haven't offended a neighbor, but we come saying we have offended God. And then so we have the witness, we have the pastoral office as this assurance that God is not out to destroy us, but to forgive those who come to him in faith. So I think it's a tough question, and I'm trying to think if I think it's a fair question or the right question. I don't know that we can compare the two except for when someone would say, I don't believe Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, and, and what... I don't feel right comparing the two. Right, but I mean, it's, 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 there's probably a better answer than what I can provide right now. But um, it, it's kind of like, would somebody, when they go to one of these non-sacramental churches and they say, Jesus is present among us, you know, would they say, you know, I don't believe that. You know, and, and that church would say, well, you're, you're foolish. God's word says he's present with us wherever two or three are gathered in our name. And someone comes to a sacramental church and says, I don't believe that's the presence of Christ. We would say, well, haven't you read his word? <laughs> you fool. <laughs> so eh, that's a good conversation. Um, is it a better presence? Like I said, I don't want to compare them, but I would say I would say yes. It is, a, it is a more full revelation of God's attitude toward us. That he is here to give us peace. The peace which the world cannot give. You know. Um, another expression of God's presence with us. Yeah. Yeah. And though we don't work on feeling knowing that we're in the presence of God and hearing his word, we are often moved by emotion. Mm-hmm. Yep, we give thanks for that. Yep. Yep, it's, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, the feelings don't give us the assurance, but are a result of that assurance. Yep, yep. Very good. Okay, um, so the peace, and then we have the Agnus Dei. Uh, Agnus Dei, next paragraph, is a Latin phrase meaning Lamb of God. John the Baptist spoke these words as he pointed to Jesus coming toward him. John 1.29. As Christ comes to us in the Lord's Supper, we recognize him as the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us to free us from the bondage of sin and death. Um, right, John 1.29. Uh, since we're in the gospel according to John. Let's go there. John 1, 29. And this takes place after the passage that I read to y'all at early church in my sermon. For part, what was Jesus fulfilling when the spirit descended on him and John baptized him? Uh, the testimony of John the Baptist, right? When he said, uh, you will see the one uh, on whom you see the spirit descend. But here in verse 29, before John takes us there, uh, after um, John the Baptist says, uh, I, he answers the Pharisees, they're asking him, why are you baptizing? And, and John then, the next day, he sees Jesus coming toward him, and he says, John 1, 29, you see that? Jesus coming toward him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, 
that he might be revealed to Israel. And John the Baptist bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the son of God. So now as we, uh, we hear the peace, right? We then, we then say, um, we, we have the Agnes Dei, uh, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because we're about to see, we're about to take part in our sins being taken away from us in real time. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. O Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, grant us your peace. Okay, so uh, taking us and reminding us that John the Baptist said this at the real presence of Christ, and so we say it as well. Next, then, the administration of the supper. As we kneel, uh, this, this author's church has a, has a kneeler, uh, and that's free. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, um, but uh, showing honor, you know, at our church we stand. As we kneel at the Lord's table, the pastor invites us, take, eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given into death for your sins. Take drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. After we receive the sacrament, we hear the comforting words spoken by the pastor. The body and blood of our Lord strengthen and preserve you in true faith to life everlasting. We respond, Amen. For this is our sincere desire. It is good practice to offer a silent prayer of thanks when we return to our pews. While the meal is being distributed, the congregation and or the choir sing one or more hymns. So then at the, the distribution, that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, some churches have kneelers, some don't. It's just tradition. Um, but we, we stand, you know, and we come to the Lord's table. Um, it is not, we don't stay in our pews and pass it around like some non-sacramental churches. Uh, we actually come forward to receive because we say this is, this is truly the presence of Christ. We come to him to receive. Now, do we deserve to come to him? No. no. But he says, come, receive, take. We come to him because he's told us to. And that's, that's the only way we come to him in faith, that as we come to him, he is not going to crush us. That as we come to the presence of Christ, the real presence and the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, have any of y'all seen, uh, I know you have, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? It's a good movie. It's great, right? What happens when they look upon the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant? Ah, they melt. All right, it's gross. That's always a possibility when you come to the Lord's Supper. <laughs> <laughs> as you peer and look upon the presence of God, it's always a possibility. But we come forward knowing that we're coming into the presence of God and that we come there not based on anything we do, but because he told us, no, this is my beloved son. Take and eat for the forgiveness of your sins. Come forward. Come to me. I will not destroy you. Your face will not melt. Maybe. <laughs> Um, no, come to me that we come to him because he's told us just like, you know, the, the God told Israel not to look. You cannot see the presence of God. But now John the Baptist says what? 
look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Very much like the second commandment says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But over and over again, God tells us what? Call upon me, use my name, right? My name, use it. So it's all about receiving and coming into the presence of God by faith, by knowing and trusting that when we come to him, when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we have confessed our sins. Our face is not going to melt off, (laughs) but we are going to be strengthened, right? The opposite, because the devil will have, he'll play around with us a lot. He'll, he'll tempt you to think, oh, I, I shouldn't come to the Lord's Supper because I, uh, I wasn't good enough, right? Or I, I'm, I'm having trouble with this situation. The Lord's Supper is precisely for that. I'm having trouble reconciling with somebody. The question is, what do you desire? Do you want the help of the Lord? Do you, have you confessed your sins? Do you want to be strengthened? The Lord's Supper is precisely for you. If you desire the help of the Lord and the strength uh, to work through some of the things that the devil has thrown at you, some of the difficult things that God is using to purify your faith. So the Lord's Supper is precisely for those who want help, who know they need help. The Lord's Supper is not for those who say, I'm doing fine. (laughs) I can handle all my problems on my own. I don't need Jesus. Uh, Let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you call us to come to you, not just symbolically or, or just spiritually, but indeed, you give us a place of refuge, a place to come to receive the body and blood of your Son, to know that you are not here to destroy us, but you are here to save us, to strengthen us and encourage us. May we also, following your lead, strengthen and encourage one another to know that we are here not not to condemn each other, but to lift up, to pray for one another and encourage us as we wander through this wilderness until we reach the promised land, as we look forward to that glorious day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.